Sunday night. That was wonderful. The arrangements of these wonderful old hymns made by a dear friend of mine across the years from Chattanooga, Tennessee, Joe Parks, who is the director of the music uh, programming at the city and county schools. And uh, what, a, what a wonderful job he's done. Always like to hear his arrangements. Brother Deaton, thank you for coming and sharing in the ministry of the Gideons. I have had opportunity in many countries around the world personally to see the effective work that the, that the Gideons have done and do in giving the word of God out to people in their own language. Dear friend of mine, Amando Silverio, was one of our home board missionaries to the Italians. Amando said many years ago, everybody, everybody, everybody in the world has the right to hear about Jesus in the language of their heart. And that's the ministry that the Gideons are dedicated to. As we leave the service tonight, our deacons and some of the men will be at each of the doors and we'll have an opportunity to give a very special offering undergirding this ministry, knowing that as we do that, we'll reach out around the world as we have opportunities to do many, many times. Title of the message tonight is that when people met Jesus, when people met Jesus. And the text is found in Mark's gospel and the 15th chapter. Mark 15, beginning at verse 33 and reading through verse 39, sharing again tonight from the New International Version. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi. Laba sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling on Elijah. One man ran and filled a sponge with wine vinegar and he put it on a stick and he offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely, surely this man was the Son of God. Surely this man was the Son of God. 
What shall I do with Jesus? Is indeed the most important question you can ask your own soul. Have you ever stopped to think that it is not strange at all that people would say, scholarly people, academic people, trained people, that nobody ever arrives at a moment of decision in life in which they ponder deeply, oh my, what shall I do with Socrates? Or if in the study of even the word of God that they would say to themselves in deep agony of soul, reaching some kind of decision, oh my, what shall I do with Moses? As significant a writer that surely influenced the shape and the tone and the sound and everything about the English language as much as anyone else save those who translated the Bible into the authorized or as we know the King James translation of the scriptures, Shakespeare, Shakespeare, that giant among us as poet as brain, as dramatist, who in the wide world, even with the vast knowledge of all of the greatness of English literature, studying Shakespeare month and month and month and year and year out and year in and year out, would ever come to a place where they'd say, oh my, what must I do with Shakespeare? But the question is a valid one. And it's valid for everybody in this room. And it's valid for everybody in Jackson. And it's valid for everybody in our world. What shall I do with Jesus? For what an individual does about Jesus makes a difference in everything else about that person's life. A person's relationship to Jesus is that then what determines how that person lives and how that person thinks and how that person speaks and how that person earns his or her living and how that person spends his or her money and how that person spends his or her time. What shall I do with Jesus? That's the most vital question, the most important question. That anybody can ever ask. People were drawn to Jesus. That's what we read as we read Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. It is the Holy Spirit of God inspired these verbal portrait painters to record for all time and for all eternity those significant events in the life of Jesus it makes such a difference how people's lives were changed. We heard the testimony tonight about the lad whose life was changed in hearing about Jesus. Every life is changed when you hear about Jesus. For even if an individual says no to Jesus, turns his back upon Jesus, ignores Jesus, neglects Jesus, even that individual's life is changed. You're never ever the same. You come away with any kind of an encounter with Jesus. 
But there were a number of people who are described in the Bible as having met Jesus and the wonderful things that happened to him. Jesus had folks who were drawn to him because of what he had to say. We need to be very careful what we talk about. We need to be careful in the choice of our words. Words are valuable commodities. Words are precious things. It would seem that because we can speak a word and it's gone, that we can deal lightly or flippantly with words. But the old saying, sticks and stones can hurt my bones, but words can never hurt me, that we used to chant as a kid, that's wrong. Wrong. Words hurt and words cut and words damage and words cripple and words hurt. We need to be careful about the words that we speak and how we speak. In his parables, Jesus spoke about living men and women to living men and women. He spoke about that which was the familiar. Jesus understood human nature. This is one of the things that drew men and women to him. It's one of the things I think that caused little children to like him. And probably everywhere that Jesus went, we see the crowds that press in upon him. But look out around the edge of the crowds. There are the kids who are trying to get close enough to hear what he has to say. Because somehow, some way, Jesus was able to convey in what he said and the way that he said it, that sense that people said, why, wait a minute. How did he know so much about me? Wait a minute. Why, why he, he's talking about me. He understands me. Why, he knows my strengths and he knows my weaknesses. He knows my successes. He knows my failures. He knows my hopes. He knows my fears. Why? He knows my sins. But there was that attraction to those as they listened to him because they knew that even as with very sensitive finger, he put his finger upon those needs of their personal and individual lives, that he did so with love and he did so with compassion and he did so with a heart that wanted them to be with his father. And so the folks who met Jesus were attracted to him because of what he said. And it's still true that after 2,000 years, we can pick up this book, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, turn over to the Revelation where the resurrected Christ is speaking and read it again and it's fresh as fresh as though it were being spoken for the very first time. Pick up most things that were written 2,000 years ago out of some dusty old moldy library and you'll find that it's pretty hackneyed and pretty stale stuff, but not what Jesus said. What Jesus said touched life and touches life. 
what Jesus said dealt with people and how people lived and where they lived and how they hurt and how they suffered in their dreams and their hopes. And he still does exactly that same thing today. The only time preaching from this pulpit or any pulpit is successful is when the words of Jesus become that which lives for today, for our lives, for your life and challenges you and challenges me to make the kind of decisions where we'll clean our lives up, where we'll live decent lives, and where in the power of the cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ and with the power of the Holy Spirit of God, we live lives beyond our normal capacity to live. As I tried to preach last Sunday evening, what difference does it make to be a Christian that makes all the difference in the world in the way that we face every aspect of life, in every temptation that comes our way? When we listen to the words of Jesus, they're living words, not dead, not archaic, not academic, not textbook, but living from the very heart of the living Christ. And therefore we need to listen Oh, people were drawn to him because of his power to change lives. You see, Jesus was in the business not just of changing people's minds about things or their opinions about things. He was in the business of changing their lives. Here was a a dad who cussed his wife and beat his kids. One day he met Jesus. And Jesus changed him. And the Christian dad then became a loving husband and a careful, caring dad. Here was a, a woman who'd been married a half a dozen times, living with a man now, not her husband. Everything about her life was out of touch as far as God was concerned. God, Jesus was not only interested in changing her opinion about some things. No, he was interested in changing her, and he did. We don't know a whole lot about Mary Magdalene. Every evidence of the scripture is that she was a pretty mean woman. That is, she was pretty mean and sinful before she met Jesus. But after she met Jesus, she lived a different kind of life. You see, when we meet Jesus and when our lives are changed, then the old things, the old standards, the standard of the world, the standard of the folks who are not Christian, the standards by which folks live who, who do not know Christ and have not been changed by Christ, these things, then we want no part of these things. 
But there were folks who were attracted to Jesus because of his power to change their lives, to change their lives morally. He turned the dirty folks into clean folks. He turned the cussers into folks who'd talk straight. He turned the dopeheads into people who could think straight. And he turned those people who by their very living and influence upon others, weakened others, an illicit kind of relationship. But after an encounter with Jesus and lives changed, they were morally different people. We all need to be morally different. Zacchaeus was one of the sorriest little individuals that ever lived. Nobody liked him. Family didn't like him. The Jews certainly didn't like him because he was one of those contract workers. He was a contract IRS man. He worked for the Romans to collect taxes for the Romans from the Jews. And the arrangement was that he had a certain quota that he had to turn in to the Washington office of IRS and everything he could get beyond that he'd keep for himself. And the Bible says he was a rich, little, fat Jew. And everybody hated him. He saw nothing wrong about what he was doing, cheating his own, robbing from his own. Morally, he was bankrupt. Though financially, there were those who would grudgingly say he was a successful man. Well, one day Jesus came to town. And Zacchaeus, curious as he was, wanted to see him. So he climbed up that sycamore tree and looked down. And as Jesus passed by that sycamore tree, he could have looked up and said, I wonder how that little fat man ever got up that tree. But he didn't. I guess he didn't. But anyway, he saw him and he looked at him and he said, Zacchaeus, I'm going to have lunch at your house today. Get down out of that tree. Old fat Zacchaeus climbed down out of that tree and swelled up about twice the size with pride that that rabbi was going to come to his house. Folks didn't want to come to his house for lunch. Folks stayed away from his house. But here was Jesus said, I want to break bread with you. And from that moment on, Zacchaeus was never, ever the same. Financially, he was not the same. He was perfectly willing to make it right. He said, if I've wronged anybody. Now, you see, it takes a while for folks to get completely right once they have an encounter with Jesus. For you notice he said, if I have wronged anybody. Why, he knew he'd wronged just about everybody he'd ever had any contact with. But let's give him the benefit of the doubt. He's trying. He's on his way. He said, I'll give him fourfold. I don't know who he went to to borrow, but he had to get hold of on a whole heap of money because no doubt he had cheated a lot of folk. But you see, after meeting Jesus, he was morally changed. And the way that he conducted his business I suppose even the way he made his living changed. Jesus is in the change business, always has been. 
for 2,000 years has been, and he is today, and he is tonight, right here in this place. He's in the change business. That involves our bodies, it involves our souls, it involves our spirits, it involves our life, it involves our outlook, it involves our attitude. When we're right with Jesus, these things always change for the better. Well, they followed Jesus. When they met Jesus, many of them were attracted to him because of that uncertain sort of something they call personality. Difficult to have an accurate definition of what personality really means. Helen Gardner grew up here in Jackson, Tennessee. A brother George, a member of your church. Helen, in many ways, was like a big sister to me. She told one time about a conversation with someone who was a maid in the home, the old home place up there, up, don't know the name of the street, but up close to the hut, right down here somewhere. And this particular maid had been married four or five times, and Helen never got married. Helen asked her one time, said, how is it you've had four or five husbands, and, and I haven't even been able to get one? And said the maid sort of laughed a little bit and said, why, Miss Helen? Said, I guess it's just because I'm plumb full of puckinality. Personality. That's an indefinable sort of something. But you know when somebody's got personality or when they don't. You know about that. Some people leave you cold. There are just all kinds of folks all around. You can just sort of take them or leave them. Don't make much difference, much impression one way or the other on you. And then there are others who coming into a room literally make it light up. There's some folks, some folks who are full of life. And there's some folks that live with such a, a vibrancy and with an excitement of life that it's good to be around them. There are some folks who share your joy and make it folks who know how to share your sorrows and make those sorrows a little easier. There's some folks who know how to share your troubles and make somehow your troubles to be a little less of a terror. Personality. My goodness, Jesus must have been something. Walk into that home Mary and Martha and Lazarus. You imagine the audacity here in the middle of the day. Here comes Jesus. He's got 12 hungry men with him. He knocks on the door. And Mary, Martha, Lazarus stick their head out to see who's come. And Jesus said, well, sure do hope you've been cooking all day because you got 13 hungry men. We've come for lunch. And smiled. 
Now, some of you ladies that have a heart attack immediately, just drop over. If the preacher and 13 deacons would show up and say, hey, we're here for lunch. But there was something about him that in a situation like that, you just couldn't, couldn't get mad at. Oh, one of the sisters got a little fussy, yeah, but that's, you know, after all, with 13, 13 men suddenly come in for dinner, been walking all day, you know, she had a right to be a little fussy, so let's don't be too hard on her. But Jesus, Jesus had that something about him. For you see, Jesus unfailingly gave to the people that he came in contact with that certain impression that he knew God. And somehow, if folks could be with him long enough, they would have that sense and that impression that they too would know God a little better. Jesus made a positive difference in the life of folks. Now, what about your life? Are folks better because they know you? Are folks more like Jesus because they do business with you? Are people those that you are most closely associated with, are they cleaner in thought and in life because of you? You see, every one of us influences others. There's a passage of Scripture that talks about Peter walking along and said, and the shadow of Peter fell upon the man. You see, we all cast shadows. Jesus made a positive difference. That ought to be our dream. That ought to be the desire of our hearts. It ought to be the object of our praying and our prayer life. That when people are with us, that then they will go away knowing a little more about God and knowing a little more about God's love and a little more about God's goodness and a little more about God's character and a little more about God's grace. You say, well, why well, can't just talk Jesus all the time with everybody? No, no, you're not listening to me. But just the way you do talk and just the way you do live, and just the things that happen to be the priority in your life as you exhibit it to others. Your own relationship to Jesus shines out and shines through. And at last, when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, the centurion said, Surely, 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 
this man was the son of God. They met Jesus and were blessed. And that's the challenge of this message. That those of us who are in Christ, living our lives, hearing us, watching us, and at last, seeing us pass beyond this life in the very way that we go would say, surely this is one who knows Jesus. We're going to sing hymn number 374. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord.